is oddly relaxing. Hashtag alcoholism. Yeah. I was actually thinking to do uh, one of our next episodes on that. <laughs> alcoholism. Yeah, literally. Any OIP. I mean, that would be a, a fair topic. I don't know, it's the kind of topic that has changed so much during our Yeah, I was going to say, that... I I imagine it's pretty different now than it was, you know, whenever we were, well, certainly whenever I was, like, most active. The organization has, has changed a little since then, I think. So, like, when did you start, Alistair? So, I started in 2008. That was my first national session mm. as a delegate. I can't remember if the regional session before that was in 2007 or 2008. But um, so I started at a regional session in Belfast and then that got us through to the nationals, which were in Durham, UK nationals in Durham that year, um, where they always used to be before we moved them to Liverpool because now they're always in Liverpool. Uh, they were always in Durham and uh, didn't get selected uh, for reasons which at the time were a mystery and in hindsight are abundantly clear because we were terrible. Um, so I kind of thought that was that, but then the the people who organized the, the Belfast regional event, which at the time was kind of separate from the rest of the UK for historical funding reasons, they were like, the following year, they were like, do you want to come back and help us with it? I was like, yeah, okay. And then that's like, it just went from there. Basically, I started going to, back to the Belfast regional and eventually someone in the UK uh nc was like who is who are these people who organized the this who's, this regional forest that we never speak to would you like to come meet us <laughs> so like i started going to the nationals as a guest and then as a juror and then at one point someone was like because keep in mind at the time i thought that you had to be selected to, like mm. to an is before you could do anything so i thought i was being gifted like this golden opportunity and at one point they were like You've been a, you've been on the jury like three times. Don't you want to chair? And I was like, am I allowed? And then that was it. <laughs> like that was nice. Then once I started, there was uh, no stopping me. <laughs> apart from old age, of course. Mm. Uh, you know, well, that's, apart that's from most age, of us. I did decide at some point that um, I was pushing the youth part <laughs> of hey, Parliament. I'm 29. I still do sessions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've definitely, like today, I had a moment where I was going through my freezer to figure out <laughs> what, what we could eat for lunch because we kind of left the door open accidentally at some point, like slightly ajar, and now it's full of ice. I was like, okay, how do we eat everything out of here? And I look at the bottom drawer, and there's a roll of toilet paper in there. I like, Am I still allowed to be in the European Youth Parliament if I'm this senile? <laughs> no fucking clue why that was there. Like the whole time you were telling that, I was like, okay, what is the link? What is the link between what we were just talking about? And then when we were, you when you went to like the toilet paper in the freezer, I was like, okay, there is no link. <laughs> that was the link. These, yeah, no. These senile I, people just like to rant on. <laughs> Well, I'm 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 not quite uh, I'm not quite at that stage yet. I'm not uh, I'm not deep freezing household items. <laughs> but uh, you know, you reach a certain stage where you're like, well, for the one thing, I felt like I kind of done everything I wanted to do, which for me was a big thing to let go. And then the other thing was like, I don't know. I feel like if I were to come and do something now, I'd be taking away an opportunity from someone else. Mm. Like, 
I don't know how much I would get out of it anymore, you know, if I went back and did something at this point. Whereas, like, I remember when it was, like, you know, a massive, massive jump in my ability each time I did something because I would learn so much. Um, yeah, at some point I was like, I, I should really let some... There's, there are people better suited to go through the doors that I've opened. Yeah, I see what you mean. I, I want to hit you with some questions about EYP UK and apologies in advance because um so for for, for me I I kind of want you to like change my prejudice against EYP UK so like to come out of the blog with the prejudice is that so I'm yeah I, I'm technically from the UK um but I as grew I recall, up as yes I as I recall via, I gr- via France via Ukraine isn't that right. That's the one. But I grew up EYP France until like 2014, 2015 time. And then I converted to EYP Ukraine and everyone's like, oh, you're from the UK. So have you been to this session, this session in the UK? I'm like, no, I've never done a session in the UK. Because at the time when I was like going everywhere to do different sessions, um, for me, one of the things was um, in every IS, whenever you meet like the UK delegation, they're like, what the hell is is this a new IP session? What, where, where's the whole competition against each mm-hmm. other? Where's the whole pre-written c- resolutions and everything that they were describing? I was like, what the, what the, what the fuck? <laughs> Are you talking about MUN? Are you talking about EYP? And a lot of things that they were talking about didn't necessarily have those same values. And almost everyone I knew from EYP UK or like, or like see through these different sessions tend to come from very top private schools and like mm-hmm. this kind of thing. And w- with me, one, one of my big fights in EYP is the fact that because we all speak in English and we do all our debates and stuff in English, um, is it, it excludes a large portion of society. And it's like, well, you know, the, the, the two places where that shouldn't be an issue should be the UK and Ireland. And then I kind of look at the UK and I sorry, it was for for my perspective, it was even more like elitist than the other countries, and I was like, "What?" So that that that's me entering with all of my prejudice, my kind of thing, and I've never really wanted to open my arms to change that stuff. But hey, we have you on, so change my opinion, as that meme well, would say. I will. I'll I'll talk. I'll talk you through my experiences with EYP UK, um, and then you can see how you feel about how you feel about it afterwards. Um, so bear in mind that my position coming into EYP UK was that I was in this little satellite organization of EYP Northern Ireland, which technically, I guess now you would have called it like a subcommittee at the time. It was just kind of like a, a structure that existed to organize that regional session. And we had our own completely different way of doing things. We had European commission money. We used the European commission offices to like meet and organize stuff. And I think I'm fuzzy on these details now, but historically the reason for that split was to do with um, funding and like the original person who set up EYP UK. And there were some um, complications there that I don't remember well enough to go on the record about, if you'll take my meaning. Um, But basically there were some sort of historical uh, differences. So basically I also was coming to EYP UK, BNC, as something of an outsider. And my first impressions of it were very similar to yours. I was somewhat overwhelmed by the like public schoolboy feel that it had. Um, and I think what you're describing there for me is, is something I recognize from that kind of like 2010 era EYP UK. Like everyone that we would be selecting to send abroad typically would be from a. I mean, like this, and this this got better. Especially, especially as 
frankly people like me got involved in the judging like me who's not impressed by public schoolboy credentials uh and over the years like that we we softened that but like yeah i definitely think there was a period of time where eyp uk itself was very uh public schoolboy cliquey mean mm-hmm. and you would kind of see that reflected in the people that we'd send abroad and also the people that we would send abroad uh, to ISs would be shocked because they've been told this is a debating competition and the mm. UK sessions were very fierce, very intense. Um, part of the reason for that, I think, is that, you know, that there just is a, a tradition of intense academic debating competitions in the UK. And if you want to get somebody, if you want to get a school, if you want to get a teacher involved in this there has to be a level of prestige to it for them to take their time and competition is one of the easiest ways to to get that relationship working now what i will say is that over the time that i worked with them and i never really had too much of like a particular role in the nc or whatever i was just kind of like there (laughs) like (laughs) i was i was a i was a, a very recurring fixture there was a period of time where i was going to like both national sessions every year just to either do a role or just hang out over the time that i was there and working with with everybody i saw a very deliberate effort to change the nc so that the events were reflective of like what you would get in other countries now obviously every each country each each uh, each nc is going to like put their own stamp on it like a you know like a polish session and a greek session have very different feels to them and on the one hand, I think it's okay that the UK sessions would maybe have that kind of more like, you know, this is just what the UK sessions are like. But I think that they did a really great job over the last 10 years of emphasizing the, the collaboration and um, community aspects and kind of downplaying the academia part of it. Well, not even downpl- downplaying the competition, I should say, because I would like UK sessions are still very academically rigorous just because that's the kind of people that come into it. Like, um, But the... I would say that, you know, the, and that whole kind of like schoolboy meanness, that's all gone as well. Like the last time I was at a UK session, I was pretty shocked. Like there was a, there was a room upstairs, like with, with all, all, all of us old boys, like me and Chris Hall and Dan Brown, right? Like sitting around a table, eating an Indian takeaway, using the little cardboard lids as a spoon and drinking beers and just like downstairs we could hear all this lighthearted, inclusive fun and we were like this is not what the way it used to be this is better like thank goodness for them that this is better but also like just i mean like i think and the fact that we were doing that actually proves a point almost because in years gone by all of the the old guard would have just completely descended on the sessions nightlife and just like overtaken it and kind of like run the show and kind of been played the clown and played the entertainer and kind of held court and that doesn't happen anymore the Mm. you know it's it's so i would say i would i mean i i think it has transformed materially because i i definitely recognize everything you're saying about it but i think that they a lot of people did a lot of good work over the last 10 years to make it a a much more normal nc yeah and so is is now the process for for delegates to kind of be in committees with different schools and to mm-hmm. write a resolution and then they debate yeah, that so resolution I mean, for example, in GA. That was a, that was a surprise to me as well because in the Northern Ireland subcommittee where I came from, like in my day, mm-hmm. 
we wrote our own resolutions and I was shocked to discover that other schools haven't been writing their own resolutions. And again, this all stems from mm. original founder of the NC, like having just charted a, a course that they felt was best, but that particularly after they left was kind of just repeated. You know, it's, it's very hard to change course in an organization where you feel like you're just like the steward of, of what's come before. Um, no, like the format's completely, uh, complete, like, mixed into committees with people that they've never met and and writing their own resolution and, and all that stuff. I mean, that was, it was like that even whenever I was there in 2008, to be honest. Mm. Although, wait, there was, no, 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 you're right. Whenever I was there in 2008, I was in my own, I was in a committee with people I hadn't met, but I think during the GA, we debated with our school. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. <laughs> Joel, Joel's face right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I don't. No, that it, it it definitely doesn't work like that anymore. They definitely changed that. They definitely modernized that because I've I've judged, um, I've judged uh, UK Nats more recently than that, and you're select the you, you still select a school, but like they're not debating in their schools. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, so for, for, for the people listening in who maybe have the same kind of face as Joel right now, it's like that kind of confused of, what, what, what the hell are they talking about? Like, how, how, how was this thing? And Alistair, feel free to, like, to, to correct me or to, like, uh, to, to fine-tune a bit more. But if, if I remember correctly, yeah, what it used to be is you go in, you do um, a little bit of team building, jump into committee work you do committee work with people from other schools, et cetera. You kind of like work on different topics, but then you would go back to your school for GA and then yeah. the school kind of class would be together um, debating a pre-written resolution um, in GA. That was definitely the case. When was it like? 12, 12 years ago it was definitely like that like <laughs> it's it's been a long time since it was like that though okay that, that, that that's good to hear. okay I, I i see joel's face uh we need to hear reaction joel what, my what? Face. <laughs> i'm sorry but like pe- people listening cannot see your face so like i have to like voice your face right now there, there are some lips going up and down there are some eyebrows some like head movements some eyes opening a bit more so tell us what's going through that viking mind Ah, that, that explanation could have been any emotions. <laughs> Good job explaining that. Yeah, no, did, would that mean that there was no committee work at all during the session? How would that work? No, they did. So they, they did do committee work, but then during the committee work, they, they would work on a topic, but they wouldn't like then they wouldn't take that resolution like all the way through to phrasing and like, this is going to be the thing that we're going to debate on. They would just get as far as like the main ideas and then end early. But where do the pre-written resolutions? So you say that they did write kind of resolutions that weren't phrased, but there were also pre-written resolutions. Yeah. Like, honestly, I don't know a lot more about this than you guys do. Like I didn't really spend a lot of time with the UKNC. So like (laughs) (laughs) uh, (laughs) I spent the majority of my career in other NCs, uh, like internationally, like I have a very vague memory of this. Uh, Like I can tell you historically why it started like that. Uh, And I can applaud them for having changed it over time. Um, Like, but I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think anyone ever really 
sat down and was like, yes, this is a great idea. Like, <laughs> yeah. No. And now, if we're talking about like EYP UK being kind of unalluring, kind of the one thing that has kept me from ever applying to a UK session is kind of the rumors you hear about the child protection laws up there. You guys probably know more about this again than me. I've only heard like the horror stories that circulate around the population of EYP. But it's like, imagine sharing, if I, if I imagine sharing a session and being told you cannot go be alone in a room with a delegate, I'm going <laughs> to, I run far away. <laughs> uh, if, if we talk about EYP UK being weird, I think that's definitely a myth or a fact that we need to go through before. <laughs> I'm I mean, it, it, it's something it's something very much within like UK and also in Ireland in the culture in which there is a lot, a lot, a lot of safeguarding for children. Um, just like, for example, how today in EYP, we are safeguarding consent as much as we can because we've realized that EYP is pretty fucked up when it comes to consent, right? After survey after survey to kind of realize the amount of sexual harassment that's been happening in EYP sessions and how it's been unchecked, then EYP kind of brought in a whole bunch of safeguarding things for consent. Educational stuff, we have safe person and all of these elements. And I feel like in the UK and in Ireland, it was a similar kind of thing. Um, I, I I can't explain why there is a huge surge in pedophilia in the UK, <laughs> Island, um, compared to other countries. I, that I don't know. Uh, but well, it's I... not really okay. So just to break that down <laughs> a little bit, like it's the the child protection policy is not about it's not just about sexual harassment, and it's definitely not about pedophilia. Uh, I don't think that there's any evidence that there's higher rates of pedophilia in the UK or Ireland than the rest of Europe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, well, I don't know, but, but well, I guess it's, what was it? it? It came from, it was mainly like late 80s, mainly in the 90s, that there was like a wave of like safeguarding policies that kind of came in, and especially into the 2000s. Um, it's the same thing, let's say, in, in any school or anything that has anything to do with children in the UK or in Ireland. It's not like an EYP thing. It's something yeah, well, that's I think very the, much the, in the, the country. Really what it, what, it, what it comes from is that in EYP UK, the NC follows the same laws that would be applied to teachers or anyone who was responsible for looking after a young person. So like the... Gen like the general safeguarding rules for anyone who's in a position of trust, which is the term given. And mm -hmm. you, you can be in a position of trust over someone who's older than you, by the way, uh, which is hard for a lot of people to get their head around. But like it kind of just recognizes the fact that by virtue of having an authoritative position or a hierarchical structure, you could have trust. You could be, be in a position of trust. You could be able to control somebody in a way that you couldn't otherwise. And all of those rules are on things like making sure that you don't in any circumstances like make physical contact is to protect you as much as the person like it's not about saying like oh someone's going to misinterpret like a tap on the shoulder as like uh like an assault or something it's really about making it black and white like if it ever came down to like a court case or a police incident they would say did you ever touch this person you could say no i didn't and you could be categorical about it because you'd receive training that told you not to and the same thing about like being alone in a room, it's not because anyone suspects that like 
you've come to an EYP session to like do anything, it's the same rule applies to teachers. Like you leave the door open so anyone could walk in or walk out or see what's happening. And um, I think the reason it achieved like legendary status in EYP is more is not so much to do with the content because whenever the content is delivered to you properly, it's all very reasonable stuff. And I actually think in a lot of ways, EYP UK was ahead of the curve in terms of like safeguarding and, and, you know, a lot of the things that we see now being taken seriously, like having a safe person, giving people training on how to interact with in certain scenarios. Um, EYP UK was really ahead of the curve on that, of taking that seriously. Um, I think where it achieved this like legendary terrifying status is that the people who used to deliver this training um, would do it in a very theatrical, like dramatic style. And I, I remember in particular, like, there was a there was a certain individual who would do this training and they would say like, you know, I'm legally responsible for this organization. So if anything happens as a result of your actions, I'm financially responsible. And that's me losing my job, losing my house. You know, all these things that aren't actually, I don't think it actually would have worked out like that. I don't think that's actually true. But it put the fear of God into everybody who received the training. They were like, this is really, really serious. And especially like people who had been to other sessions, hearing that for the first time, I, I think shook their confidence a lot. Because the obvious, like the natural question is, I, I think a lot of people's natural question is like, what's wrong with the UK that they're telling us all this stuff and taking everything so seriously? From my perspective, I actually think that it's a massive ticking time bomb waiting to happen that in every other NC, we just act like those issues aren't there or that like nothing bad could ever happen and that, you know, no one, no one needs training on how to deal with the disclosure. Like that's actually a great example of one of the, the really positive things from that safeguarding training is that, let's say like you're working with a delegate and then they disclose to you that they're being abused at home or that they've been sexually assaulted at the session. Like in the UK, we would get training and that's called a disclosure. And we would get training on, on like, like practically what it's useful to do with that person in the moment. And then legally what your obligations are as someone who has received a disclosure. Like for example, um, you should make sure the person is safe in the moment, but also you must not promise them that you'll keep it secret. Because that'll probably be one of the first things they say is like, oh, I have this terrible thing to tell you, but you can't tell anybody. You have to, like, your gut reaction at a session, if someone you were looking after said that, you might be like, yeah, of course I won't tell anybody what's going on. No, that's a promise that you won't be able to keep. And there's little things like that where having received training on that made me feel a lot more comfortable working with young people and supporting people in a bunch of different scenarios in a way that I feel like other people yeah like it's scary that we bring it up but on the other hand I, I actually think it was I think it was a problem that other NCs never built that kind of thing into their training or or kind of reflected the legal responsibilities of of looking after uh looking after young people hmm. I think there's definitely a point of what to do in those kind of situations if the participant comes to you with something shocking or you need to kind of be in this kind of actual point where you can negatively impact someone's life 
But also at the same time, I personally do think that these rules take it too far in terms of what it means to be a chairperson. Like if I am debriefing my team building, the fact that I would need to keep my committee door open for that is to me is a complete no-no. That's a thing that's very deeply emotional between the committee and the chairperson. The fact that the door is open and anyone can just eavesdrop on that is a complete, I cannot imagine that. Similarly, that I cannot- leave the committee door open as long as you're not alone with one delegate. Like if there's a group of delegates, that's fine. I mean, okay, sure. So it's just one-on-one situations. But even then, sometimes there is kind of feedback on one, one-on-one debriefing that you do need to do with certain participants that may be problematic. That is a situation where you do not want people to be eavesdropping. Of course, maybe you then have some sort of system where you'd have multiple officials there to kind of mm-hmm. prevent that. But still, that might be a way, like, uh, you might have to do that in a quick, uh, quick uh, moment and not be able to arrange something like that. But in the same way, like not being able to hug my delegates, I do not see that very well functioning with my kind of how I deal with this kind of emotional connections with people. Yeah, I I definitely see what you're saying there. And for me, I guess I'm, I'm very much on the fence in between these two. Cause like, 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 you know, and like anyone who knows me, I just hug everyone first time. I don't care. I just always go. And I'm always like such a touchy feely person, but then more and more I kind of then realize is what if somebody else isn't okay with those kind of boundaries or that, that I'm setting there. Um, if they're not okay with that and I'm in a position of trust or position of power, then there are certain things in place in which they may not feel that they have the space to be able to say that's not okay or I would prefer not to because if they kind of say that, then maybe I could take that a certain way and then that makes their experience pretty bad throughout. Um, that was a really, really, really cool video I watched not too long ago. Um, if, if anyone, uh, are you guys at uh, Rick and Morty fans? or community fans mm-hmm. yeah so dan harman the creator of rick and morty and, and community um he did um a, a, an incredible incredible video that for me like i feel it should be shown especially to guys when kind of discussing the silver rule in the uh and it's called uh dan harman apology and it's it, it it's amazing he was so in the wrong 100 percent he was being really creepy he had a thing for one of his writers that he had a position of power over and he kind of goes full honesty for about seven minutes to talk about that experience and holy shit like when i saw that it just kind of completely changed my mind of that i was like oh my god i understand the silver rule in uip <laughs> so much more and it's just like alistair said earlier on this age has nothing to do with it it's not about if the person is older or younger than you. But yes, of course, if you're 25 and they're 16, of course, age also <laughs> plays into something like this. But also, even outside of that, even if let's say you're 22 and they're 25 or something like this, and you're like, well, if we were met in a day-to-day situation, there wouldn't be an issue here. Um, when we are placed in those kind of positions of power, the 
the kind of things that you can do that on that no one else can recognize apart from that one person like the way you may treat them slightly differently and that they're the only one who can notice that and they can't really raise the bell on it because you haven't actually done something outlandish or illegal and do you remember whenever you the first time you were a delegate how your chairperson seemed like this impossibly cool like older like I don't know if any of you are younger siblings, but that feeling of like wanting to impress your older siblings' friends, like that mm-hmm. feeling when you first had a, the first time you were interacting with a chairperson, like utterly impossible for you to even contextualize your own thoughts or have a sense of like what's like appropriate or inappropriate. So, so, so easy for that person to accidentally or intentionally so so easy for that person to put you in a position where you feel uncomfortable and i think that's why you have to be mm-hmm. like you just it's one of those things that as you get more experience you just become more aware of it right and i you know and i remember having situations where like you know you the first couple of times you're an official and you're giggling in the corner so much about who you fancy and like you know you're making all these plans in your head and then by the time I was leading teams, I would do this thing where I would just like, if I was, if certain people, let's, I would just delete the part of my brain that found people in my team attractive. So it was just like, I just made that decision immediately. And then we just, I was able to then work with very attractive people without flirting with them or without even like little like nudges and winks. Just like, if you make that decision, you just cut it out. And that's a very like, it's it's weird that it's, I should describe that as like a hard thing to do, but I, I don't think it's a hard thing to do. It's a very easy thing to do, but it's a thing that people won't intuitively do if they're so wrapped up in the fun of like, mm-hmm. you know, and like the, the fun, the potential. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen that video. It, it sounds good. Yeah. I, I, I kind of looked back at my journey in UIP and I was like, oh shit. Like there were many occasions in which I I didn't respect the silver rule and then kind of like looking back at it, I'm like, shit, <laughs> that that's really not good. And a lot of what then Dan was kind of like saying, I was like, shit, yeah, I can, I, I can relate to a lot of that and it's not a good feeling. Which is really cool that we now have so many more safeguarding things and so much more discussion about this. And it, like, I remember, like when I started, that the first time I was an official and we had the golden rule discussion. I was like, "What? What? What? What is this thing?" And kind of seeing it move from that to the kind of discussions we have at the starter sessions today, and like seeing how much that advanced. And actually, yeah. about. About the Golden Rule discussion, I, I remember um, my first time as an official, I was in Cyprus 2011, um, and the, the, the way that the president did it was like in such a hilarious way that I, I started to kind of repeat that then for a few years afterwards. Um, the president basically said, they kind of got all the officials to like sit, sit around together and said, okay, everyone take five seconds to look at the people towards your left. So I'm look. Okay, take a bit more time to look at the people to the right. Now really look into the eyes of all the people around you. Look at their faces, look at them. Like really admire the people around you. And we just kept looking at each other for a while. So all those beautiful faces, those people, you're allowed, delegates, no. 
And we're like, wow. <laughs> that was one way of having the, the garden rule discussion. <laughs> I've yeah, I I've 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 seen it done that way for sure. You know, um <laughs> it's a variation of uh like why get why have hamburger when you have steak at home, you know, like <laughs> graphic <laughs> that's not graphic it's a euphemism that's the opposite of graphic see every yeah. time i just want to describe joel's face when he <laughs> kind of goes into one of these so for the audience joel had his head right up his chin facing the the camera his eyes looking upwards his nostrils open and he was in this deep mode of reflection and suddenly he found a thought and the thought was ruined by nathan started to <laughs> describe my face no. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's definitely a big part of leadership. Like all of this. These are lessons that we need to learn at some part of it, whether it is through EYP or if we go on to be in charge of other people throughout the rest of our lives, whether it is through work or to some degree also being a parent, like you have a degree of authority over your offspring and this kind of a lot of the lessons that we go through are very useful in that and i think finding a balance of what is an absolute rule and what is something you learn throughout your experience there are a lot of negative experiences in EYP whether it comes down to sexual or verbal or physical abuse session but also just like people not knowing how to interact with other humans in certain situations and that's a big part of the learning that we do like how, how to do that and i don't know like i i <laughs> i already feel how, how contradictory and uh kind of undefendable it is but a part of me wants to say kind of feels like some of these things are better learned as a thing you go through firsthand of how to kind of interact with people uh, than just as a rule that's imposed on you. Like you need to come to that solution yourself that what is okay for me to morally do or not to do rather than someone imposing that on you. And then you can have that failure if you need to have that failure as a human, you can have that in EYP rather than do that in a situation where you can not only, okay, gonna have a dent on someone's mental health, but also possibly ruin their entire academic life or work life or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's the difference between knowing and understanding, yeah. like the, the lesson, I guess. Um, I think at its best, EYP does provide a safe environment for us to try out life lessons. Um, I guess what I was thinking as you were saying that is as long as like, if your education comes at the expense of someone else's well-being, then it's not worth it, right? So that's yeah. like the, it, it has to be safe for everybody. Like it has to be... Um, 
Yeah, and I wouldn't go so far to defend someone for <laughs> kind of <laughs> damaging someone over learning that lesson, but I'm kind of just like reflecting upon the you know how EYP might even be a safer place for someone to do that mistake when we have all these kind of safeguards of having event safe persons and team leaders that those people then can then follow up on on this happened to me rather than your boss doing it to you on your first workplace mm. if if a, if a person needs to go through that lesson it's gonna happen at some point and i think what the biggest thing we can do is kind of work on having having these safeguards that we can deal with it when things go wrong because things will go wrong of course we can do as much as uh, kind of trying to teach people uh, what what is and right and what is wrong morally but i don't know it's a very difficult question and as i said i'm not going as far to defend anyone for doing this or saying that we shouldn't have any uh, preparation for people and try to protect uh our team leaders of or prevent our team leaders from fucking up someone's life or hurting someone that we should definitely do that but how to do that the most efficiently way efficient way is kind of maybe what i'm going for it's interesting thinking about whether in uip is it a great place for example to go through these experiences even if they're negative experiences because uh you know just like you know our motto in 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 the in the NIS was always like EYP is the best place to fail you know you can fail here and your failure isn't actually uh going to impact something so you can learn from it and all this stuff but then when it comes to other things and let's say something that could impact someone else is this the best place to do those kind of things or to try these things or to learn certain negative lessons um, when you were talking through that, one thing that came to my mind was that the fact that, you know, in an EYP session, we're literally bringing together between 100 to 200 um, excited, horny teenagers and uh, slightly above adolescents who kind of then come together in this time in which they're no longer with their parents, they're no longer with the people from their own communities, and they're in this new space, they're exploring and um we we suddenly do all these wild and bizarre energizers like you know we bring everyone together and we start screaming alele and kind of get saying you know this is a completely different space to the world that you're normally used to we break down ba boundaries people are just touching each other hugging drinking and you've got all of that kind of stuff going on and in the midst of all of that maybe people are actually a lot more vulnerable in eyp and it could be easier to actually damage someone in EYP compared to in their daily life where they actually do have a bunch more kind of like guards up that they've kind of learned to build because we've kind of toned them down and an experience they go through in EYP. And if that's the case, then is EYP really the best place to to try all those things? I think I I think I agree with with what you're laying out there. I think EYP is the best place to fail on your academic skills or your organization skills or your, your leadership skills, because fundamentally the consequences are limited to like the time scale of the session. I think that's the big difference, right? It's like the impact of the consequences. Um, whenever it's something personal or to do with like well-being or, or health, like the consequences of that are not time bound to the session. I, I think, as you say, like because of the vulnerability that we, actually 
try to create to help with the team building process. Like there's a kind of a shared vulnerability that is deliberately instilled uh, to enable people to form bonds quickly. Uh, no, I, 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 I think like, I actually think you're right. I think people sign up for an experience of meeting people and learning things and discussing. And it's within those boundaries that they should reasonably expect to perhaps fail and learn from a mistake. Um, it's actually like, I think it's actually, it's, it's, it's almost like a, a sign of the fact that it is a, a problem that this is an organization for like young people to come together and have good experiences. And we've spent half an hour talking about how dangerous that is for them. Like, <laughs> you know, like, uh, yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I think the work that's been done around safeguarding and, and policies to protect people and also just the general attitude shift, because you could always tell at a session if there was a president who was nurturing and kind and supportive versus if there was like a lads, lads, lads style president, like mm. you would fund, you would materially feel the difference in the way people interacted and like the way the officials team interacts impacts directly how the delegates are going to act and treat each other. So I feel like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's good that we're talking about this, but I also don't want to like scare anyone into thinking that like it might be some monstrous pit of depravity. <laughs> like it's, you know, I mean, it's a youth organization. It's I'd a fun. Argue that like, every youth organization mm-hmm. has these exact same problems. Yeah, like we're it's it's very on the one hand, it's easy for us as a group of like near thirty year olds to <laughs> philosophically discuss like the minutia of uh how to run a youth organization but like the reality is that in a lot of cases you have 19 year olds being responsible for 17 year olds for a week and it's like you know people are gonna fuck up uh as they would in any youth organization and i think the the key challenge is around how as an organization we respond to that well i suppose i should say how they respond to it since i'm out, i'm out of the game um, but isn't it great to see like the, 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 the strides that have been made in like having a safe person and actually like building in these kind of like, um, protection policies into training that people get at the start of the session and, and building that into the, 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 the reality of, of how people experience the session, because you know, the, the crop of presidents that we would have now would not be considered acceptable if they would stand for that kind of behavior. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, maybe 20 years ago, anything would have gone like. Yeah. I, I remember that was it. Okay. In 20, in 20, 2011 in Romania, um, in, in a FRE nod, uh, summer session as a, like, uh, summer IF and, um, <laughs> it was, yeah. Like the, the things that happened there, when you compare them to today's standards, it's like, what the hell? So for example, one of them is we, so every night the officials had to part a party and we'd be able to bring our favorite delegate. So everyone finds their one favorite delegate and that one <laughs> delegate has the pass to come to the officials. party. I don't think I want to hear any more about this. That sounds terrible. <laughs> it was, it was like, yeah, 
like the golden rule didn't didn't exist and it was explicitly told to us by the previous uh head of eyp romania <laughs> that the golden rule okay but like big disclosure there has been many changes this is no longer the case this is just an example from like a decade ago that i feel like illustrates what we're talking about quite well so we we're told specifically that yeah golden rule does not exist um people maybe in their rooms maybe in other people's rooms you would never know where people wake up in the morning that just depends on what happens in the party and then i remember the last night when we had like the farewell party it got to about 9 10 p.m <laughs> i don't know and if i want to hear any more of this then the head of eyp romania was like you know what uh we should probably end the party we're like well no everyone's party and let's continue that like, you know everyone wants to go to their rooms and you know have fun so we should allow everyone to go back and continue the party in their rooms and we're like oh okay and yeah but like back then that was that was okay even back then it was a little bit edgy but today there's like what the fuck <laughs> that would be shut I think down if that happened today it would be a police matter right like that's yeah but that's also like <laughs> what i'm saying like the it can come, come down to whoever the individual with the authority is can yeah. just construct that kind of environment yeah. Yeah. Which makes me even more scared now that we have this well-spoken EYP HR crisis and we are going to have people leading our sessions that have never been to physical sessions and at this kind of issue this is not an issue in digital sessions. And People are that are not going to have gone through these lessons on second, third, even fourth hand. It uh, it's a slightly terrifying in a way. That's true. That that is going to be interesting. This this like the reboot this year. Um, when later on this year, hopefully, we'll see what happens. But when sessions can finally start to happen a lot more frequently everywhere in person as the standard, to kind of see okay uh within let's say the leadership of that session um did they actually do in-person events before have they just done virtual and if so what would that have an impact in terms of welfare and those i would imagine that i think reboot is a good word for it like we've had lost generations before but i think like you know based like with like two years pause i think we're basically looking at like a clean slate in a lot of ways now uh, and I think the template that the organization will be providing to people will be one that is better set up for safety. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily view it as a bad thing if EYP is about to get like a full reboot. That is with the standard that every NC has a good template to get. Well, which is going to depend a lot. That is true. And um, so not not too long ago, I went to this other uh, training thing with a different organization. And then they would say, okay, well, which, uh, are you from this organization? I was like, no, 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 from a different one. They're like, oh, what's that one? I'm like, EYP. And then I, I was in that moment then again that I had to explain to people what EYP was and how it works. And they're like, oh, right, so is it based here? Like, well, you know, some of it is based here but then you have this global governance but then you have like this other governance and like trying to sometimes explain this different structure was like really really 
weird and i realized i hadn't done it in a, in a long while uh but then kind of thinking back to like what we're talking about with like setting policy setting culture and that stuff at the end of the day you have a session in which you have session leadership that session leadership is going to have a huge influence on how that session is going to be in terms of the culture of the session how it's going to be in terms of welfare and these different bits and then on top of that you have then the nc so if you do that specific session in the UK or if you do it in Ukraine or if you do it in Albania, depending on which country you do it, then it will probably have a different feel to it, a different twist to it, uh, because there'll be the NC kind of culture and policies going on that. But then on top of that, we have the IO and then we have the GP. And so we have all these different kind of like layers coming in together. And so every single session is like a layer cake sliced <laughs> of like all these different bits kind of happening at the same time. So when we're kind of thinking about how do you make these changes or like what happens, I guess it's working on so many different levels at the same time. We've been at this for now 15 minutes. If we strive to make this not longer than an hour, there's uh, not base for very in-depth things. So if we do want to cover a lot more good things that have happened in EYP, we, can, we should definitely have that for another recording session. I mean, I'm happy to come back and uh, do another episode if you want to talk about, like, because um, I do feel like we didn't actually discuss any of, like, my particular, like, history or anything that I could tell you that's unique to me. Like, uh, you could have got the safeguarding stuff from anybody. So, like, there's definitely more specific stuff that we could go into. Yeah. And I, I think, like, when I said about fuck-ups and you said about, you know, the positive ones, I feel like there is actually an opportunity for us to do that and because yeah either we kind of like tackle certain topics and just like today a lot of times we don't we, we kind of go and we have no idea what we're going to talk about but then suddenly we go on one direction and then we just hammer that direction for the next hour and that just tends to happen and I'd say probably about half of our episodes are kind of like that and then the other half uh someone already kind of has an idea of what what topic we want to cover together and then we start to kind of like go down that line but yeah for, for the fuck-ups is when we kind of go into these bad stories but it'd be cool if we had some kind of format like on a recurring basis just with fuck-ups though it could be like every episode that has a five in it so like 25 35 that those ones would be actually like the opposite of fuck-ups in which you're actually kind of like sharing kind of really cool memories and cool stories from UIP. And then five episodes afterwards, it's the fuck ups when everything goes wrong. That would probably be more balanced than whatever we're doing right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fuck ups was Joel's fault. He just randomly had the idea and he was like, oh, it's our 10th episode. Maybe we should do something special. Sure, you can blame me for that. I mean, I do have a monumental fuck up that I can share as well. <laughs> go ahead oh my so easily easily my worst fuck up was um Podibredi, uh forum in the czech republic 2015 i was an editorial assistant for written material and i had badly misunderstood the requirements of that role because i'd never done it before and uh I thought I'd be doing a lot more proofreading and a lot more like writing. And it turned out that the editor basically wanted me to do a magazine like by like 
obviously with the help of the team, but like it was my responsibility to like do an entire newspaper and get it printed every day and like do all the layout, which like I had done layouting before, but like to a very basic level. And uh, what we ended up producing was we had like a day to do each one, right? Like it was like we finished team building or something at like two and it's like, okay, so get the first issue ready. It has to go to the printers tonight. Like, you know, like, so there was also just no time to do it, but the layout that I produced and the content that we put into it, it's just the most cringe inducing, awful, ugly, like it just, it, it just, it looked so horrendous. Like it was very, it was so ugly and it was so amateurish and it just, it just felt at the time we were like, we were like kind of proud of it because we stayed up, like we stayed up on like working on it and stuff to get it sent out, like to have something to print. And like, I didn't think it was too bad by the time we like had finished it and hand, like and printed it. But like, like whenever it arrived, it was like, oh my God, it was like we killed somebody. Like the, the, the NC officials were so disappointed and like, I got like called in by the editor for like a sit down talk. Like I'd been misbehaved at school. Like, and I was just ready to go home. I was like, okay, do you know what? Like, fuck you. <laughs> like, I, you know, uh, and then the whole rest of that session was just the most awful, like, like, people from the NC like looking at you like you were an idiot and like and in fairness it was a very ugly unpleasant like badly made issue and like it like it, it caused like irreparable drama with the editor I would say because like it kind of uh whilst it was my fuck up in the fact that I had done this because it was their team and their work they had to also be like well, no, I didn't check it. I went to bed at 10 p.m. Like, you know, so like that was kind of like irreparable damage between me and them because they, I'd kind of like outed them as the fact that they hadn't been doing the editing work, but also like violently outed myself as being terrible at doing layout, like, and just making this really ugly, ugly issue. So it was just <laughs> single, yes, that that whole that whole that whole issue and like the issues that followed it that was by far my biggest fuck up uh, to this day I, would, I, I still have a copy of it and i look at it sometimes <laughs> and i want to punish myself <laughs> uh, so when they select uips the like the best place to fail and stuff so you've literally kind of like keep that as an emblem with you that's, that's, that's kind of beautiful well do you know what i never made that mistake again yeah, I can imagine that. I never did, made that mistake. Did you again. learn layouting? Or did you just not apply for those roles anymore? <laughs> no, I, I I learned layouting. I I did nice. some nice layouting in the years that followed. That's did cool. a nice issue at the <laughs> um the Turku session in Finland. Don't know if you remember that, but that was a nice yeah. issue. I think I, I think I actually think I don't have a copy of that one. Didn't need a copy of that one. I just needed a copy of the failure. Yeah. And I yeah. guess since then, when you've been an editor, you've kind of defined the requirements of your editorial assistants 
a bit more specifically on what they're about <laughs> to engage in than what you had when you first did that. Yes. Yes. I, I remember in uh, 2013, um, I attended um, Latvian Nationals. And like the, the two previous sessions to that, I was VP and I'd like chaired on a five, six times before that. And then I applied to this session as, as, a, as a media team member. And they were like, hmm not too sure shall we shall we not and they're like you know what let's take a gamble let's throw him in the media team uh, i had like, lots and lots of friends in the session they're like Let, let's have fun let's see what we can do so kind of jump in and then i would always kind of give them the most ridiculous request for layouting be like guys guys there's something i really really want to do but i know you're gonna hate it because layouting uh so for example me and edgar so we we had this idea we thought let's build an eyp survival kit so let's try to build like all these kind of like little things uh, that an EYPA could have with them that would help them during their day. For example, um, it was summer, it was really hot. You should always have a bottle of water. So we created a paper cutout of water that you could kind of fake drink to help you fake hydrate during the day. And our, like the, our, dis- our disastrous issue had a cutout and keeps action in it too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and we were like, so then we kind of did the whole thing on like 10 different things to cut out. We kind of had this idea. We kind of drew it on paper and we just gave it to them. I was like, can you guys make this happen? They're like, you've literally just drawn an idea on paper and you're asking us now to do all the hard work and to design this and to lay out it and stuff like that. We're like, yeah, but we can make a lovely video to go with it. <laughs> and yeah they, they kind of hated us it took them about three four hours because they did the whole thing and then realized they had done it wrong in which like all the kind of things they did were like on one side you had one le- one thing to cut out on the other you had the opposite yeah so they, they went through a whole thing again and again to try to finally get it right and then they finally got it right and then that paper was delayed anyway but it kind of reminds me of this like layouting thing of it definitely can be a struggle and if i can't imagine if those editors had never done layout before and it was their first time and then people kind of just feeling you can give those kind of requests and just see what happens i still hate layouting <laughs> it annoys me particularly because so like in my day job right i i'm a software engineer particularly I'm a front-end software engineer like I know how to lay things out (laughs) like I know uh all of the little intuitive things about positioning and spacing and flow and like I know how to do all that and it just seemed like that never mattered if I was doing like a magazine like a a newspaper layout someone else would always come look at it and go like well that's ugly I don't like that at all it's like it looks exactly the same as yours (laughs) like I don't understand like I, I feel like particularly like the world of EYP layouting is so like, and I know obviously I had a very bad experience starting with it, but like everyone is so picky and it's so subjective. It's just, I, what do you want from me? I don't know. I've definitely had more experiences like that where you get to see, particularly with having been in EYP for the length of time that I was in it, I got to see people that I would meet as a delegate and then meet them again. I think meet them again as a delegate maybe, or then then you meet them as a chair. Uh, you know, I'm I'm seeing like, not like now that I'm like, let's say retired, like I'm seeing people 
I knew as delegates like presiding things now. And it's just, it does give you a lovely sense of satisfaction to have watched someone and like have contributed to it. I'd right? like to have like helped like grow that person and give them opportunities. Um, I actually I had a lovely uh, moment like that last year. Um, a former delegate of mine, he was my delegate twice. Uh, well, he was, he was my delegate once and then I met him again um, and he was a, no, he was my delegate twice. I was going to say he was in a different committee, but it's because I was VPing both those times. So I had like a very hazy memory of like which committee was actually mine. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I met this guy like recurringly as a delegate, right? And uh, I always, like me and him always had a very good relationship. Like I, I think I was like a reference on his CV at some point. Like we just had a very good kind of like, like chair delegate, like, like a very kind of strong supportive uh, connection. And he has now since like grown up and like running his own stuff. And like he, together with some other people, he founded uh, an, a whole organization. Uh, it's called EU and you, and I do a lot of work with them now. And I have to say the feeling of whenever I sent him my application form for me to join his organization was a very special feeling to, you know, to be like, Hey, Pietro, you're the boss now. Can I come and work for you? Like, and for us to now, like now we work together, you know, like just like totally as, as equals on this, on this thing. And I'm just like, it's, it's a very lovely feeling to watch someone like grow up from like, that you knew as like a child basically to now where they're just like everything levels out once you reach adulthood. And, you know, in this particular gig, it's like, it's his gig and I work for him, you know, like having that kind of inversion uh, has, has felt really good because you can see then how much like things have changed. We have our own podcast that I'm hosting and editing uh, for Ooh. Pietro. Uh, we talk about a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, the aim of EU and U is to try and bring people closer together in a sort of act active citizenship way uh, and kind of bring down the barriers between people and, and the EU institutions. So on the podcast, we talk a lot of um, we go in depth on some news topics and stuff. We we had a, a whole like an hour long special where we went into the political history of Romania. We had a really great guest, kind of like talking us through everything. Um, like there's like a lot of more like lighthearted stuff, like food and alcohol stuff. It's a fun time. It's basically just like a, a one stop shop for like Europe focused chat. And I got into it partly because it was Pietro running it, and partly because after I finished EYP, I just had this. Europe shaped hole in my life where I was like huh, <laughs> I don't have a European themed hobby anymore what do I do with all this free time <laughs> and I realized I, I couldn't I, I couldn't live anymore like without that that feeling in the back of your head you're like oh fuck I have some EYP work to do tonight I I needed it <laughs> I'm too used to it now um so like for me like because the aims are so well aligned and everything I view EU and you as like my uh it's like my successor project from EYP. Like I finished EYP and now I'm doing that instead. And I'm getting like the same kicks out of it, which is really nice. I uh, wish there were more clear ones of those roads available. But yeah, if to our listeners, if you want to hear more of Alistair's voice, where, where can they find that? Yeah, it's called the EU and You podcast. And you can also check out EU and G on Instagram. <laughs>